Come, O long-expected Jesus, born to set your people free. From our sins and fears, release us by your death on Calvary. Born your people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now your gracious kingdom bring. May the undeserved love of God demonstrated no more magnificently, no more beautifully than in the manger at Bethlehem. May that love be engrafted in your heart. Amen. Do you remember Advent calendars? I wondered recently if they're still around. We used to love them as kids. It was a simpler time, but it was, it was a cardboard, the things that we had, cardboard, but it had a picture on the front, but it had doors. And beginning on the 1st of December, one of us, one of us kids got to open that little door and behind it we could see there was something connected with the birth of Jesus or a Bible passage to point us back to the real meaning of Christmas so we wouldn't get distracted. I wondered if those were still around. There are some things called Advent calendars that you can find online. I don't recommend them. Like most other things, they've taken this and perverted it. And yet it occurred to me that, yes, they are. Advent calendars are still around. We just know them by a different name. We know them by the name the Old Testament. The Old Testament is one great big Advent calendar. You can go there every day and open it and read something about that coming birth, the birth of the Messiah. Bits and pieces are revealed to us as we open that Old Testament. So it's altogether fitting that on Christmas morning, we read from that Old Testament. Our text is from the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter, beginning with the 4th verse. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. This is God's word. Second only to the birth, the gift of the birth of our Savior, we need to regard these words as that which they are, God's second greatest gift to mankind. These words tell us about Jesus. These words produce, work faith in us. 
these words sustain us in that faith. Recognizing the source and the value of these words, asking our God to so bless us this morning, so we pray. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. The Old Testament as an Advent calendar is a great picture. There's another that, that comes to my mind, especially when I hear or see a, a poster, that poster you've probably seen, you're probably familiar with it, that says simply, Jesus is the answer. And the question that pops always into my mind is, or the response is, what is the question? Now understand, Jesus is the answer to all of life's most important questions. But the fact remains that answers are robbed of their relevance and meaning if they're not preceded by a question. If I tell you the answer is yes, it means nothing. If I tell you the answer is no, it means nothing. It's a great answer to say, let all of or almost all of the air out of every tire. That's a great answer. But only if it's preceded by the question, how am I going to get this semi that's two inches too tall underneath that bridge? You get the problem. The New Testament is the answer. It's full of the answers but they're robbed to a certain extent of their relevance when we don't know the questions or the question. And that's where the Old Testament serves us so well. It provides the questions so that the answers have relevance, have meaning. Speaking of questions, one question I'm asked often is, especially by young Christians, but by everyone who says, I want to I get back to reading my Bible. I want to get back into the Word. Where should I start? I used to, as I'm sure you've probably done, I used to just say, well, why don't you start in the Gospels? Now, it depends on where they are in their faith walk, but start with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, maybe one of the epistles of Paul, like Ephesians, Galatians. I don't do that anymore. Now I suggest that they start in Genesis because they want to first learn the questions. And the questions started there already, didn't they? In the book of Genesis, with the fall into sin. Sin destroyed our relationship with God. Sin enslaved us. And you notice that phraseology in our readings and our hymns leading up to this point. Sin enslaved us to Satan and to eternal death. And so the question that was first formed back then in the garden with the fall is, who will rescue us? It's the central question of the entire Old Testament. In fact, when you read through the Old Testament, what you find is man's struggle to find an answer to that question. 
And as man always wants to do, sinful man wants to do, he thought he could somehow provide the solution. That we ourselves could provide our rescue. And so they tried different things throughout their history, especially the children of Israel. So what did God do? God gave them object lessons. Sometimes very long object lessons. He led them, for example, into 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And the message, this object lesson he was trying to drill into their hearts and minds was this. You can't even free yourself from physical slavery. Try as you might. I think you should get the message after 400 years. How much less can you free yourself from spiritual slavery? And then God provided another object lesson. We heard about it. It was mentioned in our text, if you were paying close attention. God rescued them from their physical slavery. Another lesson. You can't free yourself. You never imagined that you could get out of slavery in Egypt. You had no army, no weapons, no money. You had nothing. But I can. Watch me. And he did just that. Rescued them, destroyed the Egyptian army, looted the country in which they were slaves, and led them out. They got it for a bit, but they were never quite satisfied with that, were they? Man is never satisfied, natural man, with letting God. We have to. We have to do. We have to provide. And so they quickly fell away. Here's the promised land. Go in. Possess it. I don't know, Lord. I don't think we can beat those guys. Have you learned nothing? I'm the one who led you out of Egypt. I'm the one who led you across the Red Sea on dry land. I did that. I'm telling you, go in. You'll possess this land. I don't know. And eight out of ten of the spies said, we can't do it. So God led them back into the wilderness until every single misery, debauchery, idolatry. That's the history that leads up to our text for this morning. Brings us all the way to this point in history where Samuel is old, they don't like his kids, and they want a king. And they want a king like everybody else has. That's what we want. Appoint us a king. That will solve our problem. A king will deliver us. That's what we want. A king. Samuel, we heard, was indignant. But God said, no. Give them a king. This is their their futile effort to provide an answer to their question, their problem. They think a king is going to deliver them. But I want you to I want to tell you, you to tell them something, Samuel. Warn them of what these kings will be like, what they're going to do to you. And by the way, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. See, it wasn't so much that the children of Israel wanted a king. They wanted to get rid of the one they had. 
God was their king. But they wanted a king here on earth. They wanted a king who would walk among them and fight for them and deliver them. And so God said, give them what they want. You remember how that worked out? By the way, it's interesting. Does any of this strike you as oddly familiar? We want that system of government that has never worked, that has never really given deliverance to anybody. We want that because we think it will work with us or for us if we do it. Look at that list of kings. The first one, big, strong, handsome man, Saul. We heard he's a head taller than everybody else, a handsome guy, failed miserably. And then David, a man after God's own heart, failed in spectacular fashion, committed adultery, murder, dishonor. One of his dedicated men, his closest friends, and then came Solomon at the height of Jewish power in that day. And Solomon was led into spiritual chaos by his many pagan wives. And then followed a never-ending succession of failures. That's what happens when man tries to solve his own problem. Answer his own question. Deliver himself from his bondage. That didn't change their situation, did it? Now with this background, fast forward to the words of the angel to Mary. And listen to those words again with this background in mind. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. For behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And God said, you're right. You need a king, one that will walk the earth. But it's not what you think. When they'd been freed from Egyptian slavery, go and hear this voice and then come to us. A human being that will go between God and us. And God said, we'll do. Later when this Jesus grew up, and he stood at trial before the Jews, and the high priest Caiaphas blurted out something that was utter foolishness. Well, not that the whole nation should perish. And God said, absolutely true, but not the way you mean it. He was nothing like the one that they expected, was he? In fact, when he failed to measure up to their expectations, they first disowned him and then murdered him. You remember their words at his trial? Pilate said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. 
Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. God sent a king who would walk among us, nothing like what they expected. But you and I need desperately not to miss something here. When we see that baby in that manger, that innocent looking, that ordinary looking baby, that so many have looked at, thought they understood, and then cast aside because it was not what they expected. They didn't want to hear that God was providing a solution for their sin problem, their slavery. They wanted to provide it still. So understand something as you look at that baby. Hear how God's word describes that Christ child. The Apostle Paul described him as he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. To him be honor and eternal dominion. And again, John's description in Revelation. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the baby you see in the manger. That's the essence of the God-man that we see there. The one who possessed all the fullness of Godhead and yet for a time set aside its full use. That's the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who created all things by the power of his word, who came here to do for us what we could not do for ourselves the promised one. That's why wonder should continue to fill our hearts when we see who it was that God sent, who it was that had to come. And you know what else this is supposed to do for us? It's supposed to teach us the enormity of our debt of sin and the hopelessness of trying to solve that problem, to answer that question ourselves. Because the debt of our sin couldn't be paid by the sacrifice of a human baby. It took the sacrifice of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of heaven and earth. The magnitude of our sin debt was that large, that great, that insurmountable. 
And that's why God sent Jesus. And that's why we celebrate Christmas as we do.